Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Next Level Brands Podcast, brought to you as always by the Next Level Brands CPG community. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, or health and wellness, you should be a part of the Next Level Brands community. Courses, workshops, resources, founder coaching, networking, and a whole lot more. Having a challenge with distributors, funding, or promotions? The Community Hub is fully searchable by keyword and can take you right to the answers you're seeking or one of our team members can help you find the info. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the first Next Level podcast of 2022. Let me repeat that slowly. 20. 22. This is Steve Clear, and we have an awesome show today. I know. How did this year get here so fast or so slow, depending upon what you were doing? So many of you have heard of the concept of dry January. That's being taking a month off of alcohol after the usual bacchanal of the holidays. So we thought we'd be on trend and also introduce you to Jordan Bass, the co-founder of Hopwater. That's H-O-P-W-T-R, the non-alcoholic beer replacement beverage. Now, Jordan spent seven years at the Wonderful Company, where he was head of e-commerce, and he rapidly scaled that business to make Wonderful one of the leaders in CPG e-commerce. We're going to talk more about that. He's also held roles in corporate strategy and worked in venture capital, but comes from a long line of entrepreneurs in his family, and he really wanted to get back to running his own ship. We're going to do a deep dive into all of that, but you should know that Jordan lives in Los Angeles with his amazing wife, daughter, and dog, Hamilton, who, by the way, has more Instagram followers than he does. Welcome to the show, Jordan. Hey, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Hey, and happy new year. So yeah, happy new year to you too. And uh, I'm going to uh, crack a hot water to get uh, started here. <laughs> to get started. I like it. Okay. All right. So I'm, yeah, sorry, we don't have visual. Otherwise we'd, we'd show off the really, the really cool packaging, but I kind of want to start, there's a whole bunch of different ways we can go, but I kind of want to start with, you are one of those entrepreneurs who in fact created or co-created a product and a product line out of a personal challenge or personal need or, you know, and, and I want to explore that whole idea. First of all, what were you guys doing that you came up with this? And then when did that go from, hey, this would be cool for us to, hey, this would be cool for a million other people? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, as you said, you know, this product came out of a personal need and, and a hole in the market. My co-founder and I had identified. So Nick, my co-founder and I, I like to say we were on parallel paths to the same conclusion of this hole in the market. And that was that we were looking for a healthy product that would allow us to have that great beer occasion and great taste, but would not have the downsides with alcohol, calories, et cetera. <laughs> and, you know, we, we both were, Nick is a ex-Marine, healthy guy, former uh, Ironman triathlete, you know, a, a really, you know, fit and outdoor kind of guy. I've always been a outdoor enthusiast and pretty healthy lifestyle. I grew up in Northern California and foothills of the mountains, snowboarding and backpacking and all of that kind of stuff. And so that kind of healthy lifestyle has always been a part of my life. And what I found, I was actually training for my first triathlon. And I found that I was, you know, just kind of not burning my beer gut quite as much as I anticipated. <laughs> was out there doing, you know, runs and bikes and, and swims and, you know, found that I wasn't making as much progress. And, and I 
kept asking myself why, and then quickly realized when my wife got pregnant with our first child, she's, she's now actually pregnant with our second, which is very exciting. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. And, you know, so obviously she got pregnant and stopped drinking and, and it put a spotlight on the fact that I was the only one crushing double IPAs and, and you know, porters and pale ales <laughs> on the couch. Mm, and yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was like, oh, okay, well, these have three or 400 calories, bunch of alcohol, uh, not that, you know, pretty counterproductive for all the training that I'm doing. And so, you know, for me, it really wasn't about the alcohol. It was more about having that occasion of a great beer or beverage to relax in the evening or to hang out and chill out on the weekend when I was at a friend's barbecue. And so I started looking at alternatives and started drinking some of the non-out beers. This was a couple of years ago. They still were not tasting that great. They've made a lot of progress, but, but still, you know, I still have a little bit to go. Yeah. Um, and so started drinking those, but they have a ton of carbs and calories. You're, you're still getting the same, uh, you know, macros that you're getting in a regular beer. They've got no functional benefit where you're getting the relaxation aspect out of, out of drinking a beer or two. Um, and then I started, you know, looking at LaCroix and at this time we were still going to the office. So, you know, I'd already had like four LaCroix during the day had that fifth one is not that satisfying. And, you know, really didn't see something that was meeting my needs. And, and Nick and my business partner, we've been friends in LA for a couple of years and we're, we're both kind of commiserating about this fact that there was not a product that was really meeting our needs. And, and that to define it is lower, no carbs lower no calories, great taste of beer, and some kind of functional benefit. We wanted a reason why. And so when we didn't see that in the market, we started kind of looking around and said, you know what, like, we think we could do this ourselves. We think there's probably other people out there like us that have this same desire. Everyone these days is busy, got either, you know, social responsibilities, sure. family responsibilities, kids, work, and, you know, I think we're trying to kind of do it all and fit it all in. And that was part of this thesis for us is that you just don't have time to have the, the you know, negative macro impacts when you're trying to achieve your health benefits and also don't have time for the hangover. And so we said, you know what, let's go see if we can do this ourselves. And that's how we built Top Water. <laughs> so, and, and, and that's, you know, it, it, there's been, of course, a, a history of kind of the non-alcoholic beers and are very, very low alcohol beers and stuff. And then there's been the kind of calorie refinement too, where you get to like Michelob Ultra, which is I think only like one or two carbon molecules difference from LaCroix, right? I mean, exactly. It's, it's, exactly. And, it's, and it's kind of like, you know, I had a friend who was trying to do that and he finally just said, you know, why bother? I'll, I'll just drink, you know, hint water or something because it's got a little flavor to it. That's fine. But this is not this is not beer, although it comes in a can like a beer, right? It's not one of those things. So um, you had some, you know, background. We, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But you had some background in CPG, and in so you knew about kind of how things get formulated, or you know, how we go from a recipe to you know scaling up, or whatever. So how did you guys tackle this thing of like, did you look at the ingredients on the can of beer and go, okay, let's take this out, we can take this out, or how'd you do it? Yeah, great question. You know, we, uh, as you said, I had a background in CPG and my co-founder had a background in, in food also, as well as in building startups. So, you know, we really kind of started formulating it. We looked at the uh, products in the market 
and kind of you know got some ideas of, of the direction that we could go. We knew we wanted to be closer to a beer. So we knew that you know either hops or the core ingredients were really important. Um, and then we partnered with a, a really you know great formulator out there to help bring some of that expertise. I mean, we had the product vision of what we wanted to achieve, but we certainly right. are not food scientists. And I know a lot of people kind of formulate in their kitchens and and whatnot, but you know, we felt like in beverage, especially, there is a lot of nuance to how you formulate a great tasting beverage that is stable and can be produced, et cetera. Yeah. And so we felt like we want to bring in some experts. So uh, you know, we pretty quickly brought that vision to a formulator and they helped us to uh, to iterate and build up. And, and that took a long time. I mean, there was uh, many, many, many iterations of us formulating this beverage. Um, and, you know, from the first round that we that was definitely not on the mark uh, <laughs> to the last round that, that finally got to something where we like, this is damn good. And this is exactly what we want to uh, bring to market. So the so the product is, of course, only half the story, if that. Um, now you guys, again, a little bit of both with background, but then the idea of, okay, let's just jump into ready-to-drink beverage. That sounds like a great idea. That's not a competitive <laughs> category or a cutthroat, ruthless, distributor-dominated uh, you know, uh, industry. Um, what did you guys do to, to plot that out? Well, you know, I think you've got to be a little bit nuts to be an entrepreneur in in the first place. Oh, yes. <laughs> the, the odds are definitely stacked against you. You know, again, we you know both felt like we had some backgrounds in the space. Um, and, and we both also had digital backgrounds. As you had you know, mentioned, I ran a direct-to-consumer business. And so when we you know, first decided that we wanted to bring the product to market, I think our question was, Hey, we'd, we'd spent months and months working on this product and sharing it with friends and family and getting feedback, but we really didn't have any kind of market feedback. We didn't know. We thought people would like it, but uh, you know, thinking and improving is, is a big difference. And so what we decided to do was uh, you know, launch the product online, and I can talk a little bit more about some of the pre-steps that we took to that yeah. uh, to basically validate whether folks actually liked this before we went and really scaled up. And, and so that's what we did. And we, we launched digitally and we saw that there was immediate traction online and it kind of gave us this validation that yes, people like this product and we've got something here and we can use that as a proof point then to bring to retailers and distributors to show them that there is market demand. You know, the traditional way to build a beverage brand, one of the traditional ways is to go to the on-premise channel and build it and get sampling that way. But we did this in 2020 in the pandemic. So it was very unique times that we really didn't have that channel available to us. So we had to kind of pivot and you know, use the resources available as well as that, that aligned with our background to get that initial kind of market feedback. From a mechanical standpoint though, Jordan, did you run a, a pilot batch before you went online or are you actually testing conceptually? So two, uh, two answers to that question. A great question. So we did two things. One, we actually tested conceptually. We created digital assets and asked people if they would want to sign up for email to learn more and to be the first to know once the product launched. And so we actually launched that digitally 
and were able to see what kind of engagement we got from the digital community on social. And what we saw was that we were seeing email captures that were extremely low cost. And we knew what kind of the benchmarks were in the industry. And we saw that we were at like 20% uh, cost of what the normal benchmark is. And that gave us an immediate validation point that there was excess demand for this kind of product. That was before we actually even produced anything. Now we were geared up and we were in the pipeline to go produce. So once we saw that, we gave us more confidence to hit right. go and put the investment in actually producing the product. And then we also had a built-in list of consumers that we could go launch to right away once we had the production completed, which is what we did. And then we leaned in and produced uh, and launched the product for real. And I'm assuming that there was a, a pretty good you know, investment behind this as you guys were moving forward? Absolutely. And you know, at, at that point, you know, we had didn't have any external investment. It was all of our own capital. And so, you know, we were we were putting real money behind this. And um, you know, when you're you're going to co-packers, it's not it's not cheap to kind of launch a brand. And I can talk a little bit about it. I think this is kind of you know one of one of our lessons, but yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, we definitely put put real money into this ourselves. And when when you have something, okay, going with professionals, because obviously you guys did. Uh, to start out with in terms of formulation, you get to that, then you begin a search for, okay, from a co-manufacturer, co-packer standpoint, who can actually produce this stuff, right? And then you choose from a list. Did you interview some folks and say, hey, this is what we need to do. Can you work with us? How did that go? Yeah, great question. Um, and, and, you know, I think this is the same for lots of different vendors in this space. You know, as you're scaling, you're constantly looking for who the right partners are. And, you know, that's, it's not an easy evaluation process, especially if you've never worked, you've never done this exactly before. So, you know, where I typically start is going to my network. And that's how we did it in this case too. You know, we kind of went to our network and looked at, at people that we knew in the space, asked for referrals, much better than doing a cold call. And through a couple of those, we got a short list of co-packers to work with, you know, call it three or four co-packers. And then, and then we did the due diligence ourselves, you know, kind of interviewed them, asked, asked the right questions and found the right partner that had the right fit. You know, again, in a lot of these kind of partners, it's, you know, everyone has different strengths and we're looking for various uh, attributes. And it's kind of like, do those all line up? And as a small brand, it's really tough because, you know, a lot of partners, they it's more efficient for them to produce large batches. And as a small brand, like you really, yeah. especially if you're self-funding it, you, you oftentimes can't afford that. And it also may be just too much risk to put that much product uh, into inventory. So we were able to find a great partner that worked with us and was able to kind of do small batches to start. And that allowed us to, uh, you know, to, to not risk too much capital before we do that the market demand was there. Now, on the flip side of that, I think that was probably one of my lessons learned in that you know, we didn't lean in heavily enough and uh, the demand was was huge. And, uh, you know, we, we ran out of inventory pretty much right away and then <laughs> had to go back to the well and produce more. Uh, so hindsight's twenty twenty. there. It, it's not easy to try to predict demand in that sense. You know, um, you know, you're always hoping it's going to be better, but then there's that, you know, minimum order quantity. So no, so whatever, it's 20,000 units. But if I want to go up, to 21,000 units, I actually have to do 40. So, you know, so it's like, okay, where do you, where do you draw that line? You know, um, 
you know, trying, trying to, to figure out ahead of time what the consumption is going to be. Yeah. And then, and then also you have, um, I think somebody likes something and they may buy six or they may buy four, but you don't know if they're going to buy 10 at a time because they go, oh yeah, well, I want this and a couple of my friends, I want it a couple of times. So we'll buy 10 or 20. And then it's like, okay, now I've got a, you know, I've got customers, but my customers are consuming more than I, I thought they were going to. Which, yeah. Um, I mean, I would say that, you know, oftentimes in these you know, sales and marketing, get the, uh, get the glory. I get to come on podcasts and talk to you about the business, but you know, the operations is the backbone of the business and we wouldn't be here without an amazing operations team. And I, I will tell you, production planning is really hard, especially in a fast growing business where demand is rapidly increasing. I can tell you a little bit of an anecdote about that last sure. dry January, we were headed into it and we predicted that dry January was going to be really strong. We thought we were going to kind of, you know, 2X our sales. And so we leaned in from a production standpoint and increased our production quantity significantly. You know, again, at that time, it's, it's real capital that you're putting into inventory. And, you know, the history to that is that we had ran out of our first, uh, we ran out of like our first like five production runs uh, because demand was just increasing so fast, we could never keep up with it. And, and we would double or triple each production run, but it was still not enough. And so we said, okay, let's go really big. Let's, let's put a bunch of inventory in place for dry January. We thought we had it covered. Well, good problem to have, but sales 4X uh, from December to January. And we ran out of inventory halfway through the month. And again, you know, it's kind of like, you can only say it's a good problem to have so many times and then it's just poor, you know, poor execution and planning and, and your customers aren't too happy about that. It's a bad, bad experience for them. So, uh, you know, we, we learned our lesson and, and realized that we had to actually go even bigger than we thought we did and just had to be really bullish on our inventory position. And so that's what we do now. We make sure that we have plenty of inventory so that we can serve our customers. But that was a, that was a hard yeah. lesson learned. I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll spare the audience the, the, the gut-wrenching story of what happens when you go out of stock. Mm -hmm. um, it's not pretty. It's very expensive. Um, and, and particularly in a, um, an emerging brand where uh, you're relying upon, a lot upon word of mouth. You're relying upon influencers, ambassadors, and all that. And all of a sudden, they direct you to a place where nobody can get the product. It's like, well, that doesn't work too well. Absolutely. And then recovery is your point is it, you're shipping from the non-optimized point. So it's expensive. You have to expedite shipments. It's, it's, uh, it's painful. When you started out, Jordan, with the business plan, let me, let me dip into this. I mean, I, I, again, we'll go back and we'll touch in a few minutes. I want to kind of go backwards a little bit to talk more about Wonderful and the e-commerce. But you guys looked at when you started, you were going to start just D2C. Was that the plan? And then in, in, in website and Amazon, or did you say, okay, we're going to do toe in the water retail as well? Yeah. So we decided that we were going to launch via direct to consumer to kind of get proved product market fit. Again, you know, we wanted to validate what the demand looked like in the market, but our plan was always to launch into retail as kind of a fast follower right after the direct consumer business. So, you know, in, in beverage, you retail is, is required uh, and yeah. is, a, is a critical yeah. aspect. It's the most important aspect. Uh, so, you know, we always knew that it was kind of like a two-step process. Did your D2C experience though, 
help you to well, like learn the lesson about demand when you went to a retailer going, no, you, you, you really want a half a pallet, not, you know, 14 cases. Absolutely. It gave us a lot of valuable data points and experience. I mean, to the point you just made on inventory, it's even worse if you run out of inventory at a retailer because you lose the shelf space that you fought so hard to get. So you just cannot run out of inventory at the retailer. It's not not an option. Right. Or you so, purchased. <laughs> you purchased that space and all of a sudden you're not on it anymore. Sure. Yeah. Wait. Uh, it also gave us some really good data points on who our customer was, you know, in the DTC space, you get such rich data on who your customer is, what their buying patterns look like, what the frequency of purchase is. And so that was really valuable to our retailers. And we use it that way today. You know, our focus is building in the retail space, but right. we're able to get that digital data and bring it to our retailers and say, hey, look, this is who we should target. This is how we should target uh, customers. Um, and, and it also gives a great sampling opportunity across the country so we can, again, go to our retailers and say, look, we already have customers in this space. This is one of our best territories. So, you know, it gives a little bit more confidence that the product's not going to sit on their shelves. Yeah, exactly. So let's dive back a little bit because um, I want to ask you, Jordan, kind of on the on the topic of e-commerce in general and stuff and, and food, beverage, wellness companies that are going to be using or are using currently a D2C and e-commerce to kind of... Um, launch their brands and grow their brands a little bit. When you were at the Wonderful Company, which in case folks, it's not Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank, it's Palm Wonderful, if you would know the product, right? Which is your pomegranate juices and stuff. What You were in pretty early on that, right? At, at e-commerce in terms of CPG. Yeah. When I started with the e-commerce business, it was still a you know somewhat emerging kind of sales channel in the CPG space. And yeah, I'm really proud of the work that that my team and I did there and helped to, you know, build those brands up to be uh, have a great presence in the direct consumer channel. It's a phenomenal company and I, I feel, you know, privileged to have been there. And so, but you saw an evolution there of, I mean, it, at one time you would go to somebody and say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to sell this online, six bottles, six glass bottles in a pack or whatever. And they would have just shook their head at you and went, you know, you're, you're nuts. Nobody's going to buy that. Um, obviously, we've come a long way since then. And then when you got ready to start hot water pre-pandemic, right? Pandemic was not in your plans. What did you see as the as as what the pandemic did to e-commerce and CPG? Yeah, I mean, is it's fairly well documented, but the pandemic was a huge accelerator of an already existing trend. You know, right. the CPG sales in the direct consumer channel or e-commerce channel have been on the rise for many years, seeing strong double digit, even triple digit growth. And the pandemic really act, uh, acted as fuel on the fire. I think we saw in 2019, about 4% of e-commerce, excuse me, of CPG sales, this is industry-wide, were done through the e-com channel. That, um, in 2020, that accelerated up to actually 10%, but then came down to more of a steady state of about 6%. And there's some really good studies out there that some of the leading consulting firms have done that said it basically accelerated the penetration into e-commerce by about three years. And so, and that trend has only continued. 
Um, and I anticipate I'm very bullish on uh, that trend continuing to grow um, as uh, as consumers get more and more used to ordering their food and beverage products online. I think it will be a dual um, a purchase occasion. You know, some con- consumers will I, I think switch between physical retail and e-commerce, especially as leading retailers are getting better and better at integrating their e-commerce experience into their physical retail. Yeah. Whether yeah. you want to right, get delivery, pick up in the parking lot at store, have it put in the back of your car, or you actually want to go in store. And I think that's the future for consumers is that they will switch between all of the different services, depending on what's most convenient uh, for their week. Yeah. And the length of time that the, you know, and, and still we're into it. I mean, you know, we're still mid pandemic, I guess it is that um, habits developed enough for people to think about, oh, I buy this particular product online, that's where I buy it. And even if it is in a store somewhere, maybe I don't go to that store or maybe I don't go down that aisle, but it's not, you know, th- those things are hard to overcome. And, and when I've worked with where we've introduced products to new channels, so, you know, I worked with Cliff Bar when we introduced them to convenience stores. There were no bars, energy bars in convenience stores at that time. But it was this idea of, well, can we help the consumer to get out of the mindset that they need to buy this stuff at at that point, drug and conventional grocery were the only places. And, and yeah, you can stop in and pick this up. And instead of getting a candy bar, right, get you know get something a little better for yourself and get it you know, together. But it it took some education and some incentive and promotion to get people to change that. And I think that's what the pandemic basically just threw all that stuff out the window. And it was like, okay, well, I'm going to do delivery. Or I'm I'm going to do. Uh, it, it amazes me the percentage of people who do shopping online and pick up at the store. It's like, yeah, uh, if you're going to uh, shop uh, online, just get it delivered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, I had that, uh, that same perspective to uh, admittedly a couple of years ago, where I, I, I was having trouble understanding the use case for order online, you know, pick up in store in the parking lot. But, you know, I've really come to see the value in that, especially now that we have kids or a child and another one on the way. And my yeah. wife uses that pretty frequently. It, it fits in for that kind of quick pickup where you're out running errands and you can kind of place the order quickly and then drive up to the store. And a lot of them are great. They'll just pull right up. You, you pull right up, they put it in your trunk and you're off. And so that's kind of, you know, I see it as like the order online get delivered is for the items that you already know you like, your milk, your bread, right? Your standard kind of Items. Right. Those are yeah. your kind of almost like subscription items. The order online pickup in store is oftentimes for a fill-in kind of shopping trip. And then going into stores, either you have a bigger trip where you don't know you need to find new items, or it's where you go to kind of discover and find new items. I think discovery online is still very, very difficult and is much better when you're in store. I mean, there oh, absolutely. that's really yeah. where you find new brands. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a challenge um, because you know if if you're going down the aisle and you you go to barbecue sauces, let's say you know you can you can look scan very quickly um, the different types of from top shelf to bottom shelf, um, and if you're on Amazon looking for barbecue sauce, that doesn't happen. Uh, or 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 you're trying to find that barbecue sauce that your friend said, and their website was what you know eatbarbecue.com. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah, very, very different. And as much as I think of all the platforms, I think walmart.com has actually done a better job of 
putting on the, first of all, if you, if you buy with them online, they retain the record and they are able, of course, to bring up the stuff that, hey, did you remember this? Right. This is you haven't bought half and half in, in four weeks. What's going on? Um, but also aligned items based on what people from your demographic, psychographic, whatever are are buying and they can put them on the page. Um, it's harder. Amazon, that's harder for them to do that. I mean, they, they do it, but they sell part of that space, obviously. And it and it's usually like totally competitive, not aligned necessarily product. So you don't get that extra kind of uh, uh, you know, we call an impulse buy that you would get if you were in the store. It's a, you know, definitely a challenge. That's one place that, that conventional grocery and drug and mass still have it over online is filling up that basket with stuff that you didn't go in there to buy. Yeah, the impulse buy is a notoriously elusive sale online. Definitely have an advantage in physical retail or like you talked about, you know, the C-Store channel. Um, I think that's that's a, that's a great place to get a nice impulse buy and for consumers to discover new brands that they may end up deciding they love. Um, so we, before we go too far, we should, um, for, the, for the audience folks who are interested in dry January, just interested in, in, in a great tasting beverage, uh, can you give us the website and where else they can get hot water? Absolutely. Yeah. Dry January is a, a big time of year for the brand every year. Really you know, a great opportunity to kind of step back and, uh, you know, take a, take a look at, at how much you're drinking and take a nice break. Um, you can get hop water at, on our website, which is hopwtr.com. So hopwater.com. You can also find us in a lot of leading retailers. You can find us on online retailers like Amazon and Thrive Market, but also in, in physical retail, <laughs> uh, in Kroger banners like Ralph's, you can find us in AGB, BevMo and Total Wine. And also get oh, yeah. us on GoPuff nationwide uh, and through many other leading retailers. Excellent. So just about everywhere. That's good. Yeah. And if you go to if you go to our website, we've got a store locator with all of our retail partners. I love store locators. It's great. Put in the, you know, I put in my old actually zip code to make sure, you know, just here or pick a zip code in Chicago. I wonder where they are. Oh, wow. They're in Cub. Cool. There you go. It's a lot, a lot of fun. Um, so what, so you guys, all right, when you started out and you had obviously very good feedback. You, when you're dealing with uh, under inventory issues, you know something's going right. Um, when you were plotting the retail portion of this, did you take like, did you already kind of know, like, you know, we want to be in Mothers, we want to be in Air One, we want to be in, you know, how'd you look at retail going forward? Yeah, absolutely. So, as you mentioned, we're Los Angeles based. And so we wanted to launch in our home market because we control it better. So, First retailer that we launched with was Erewhon. They were really great and continue to be great partners. They leaned in early, brought the brand in, and uh, they're an amazing retailer, one, and two, a great place for consumers to discover new brands. So we were able to launch with them, get that kind of retail feedback, and then build from there in the natural channel in Southern California. We've had some some other amazing partners here in, in Southern California. I think Jimbo's and Lassen's and more. And then from there, uh, we're able to build into the conventional space um, and into the packaged liquor channel, which have also been really great partners for us. But, you know, I think that's probably a good playbook and advice for, for entrepreneurs is, you know, really start in something that's small and kind of controllable. Uh, don't get over your skis, you know, start with something right. where you can get that feedback. Like the feedback is the most important part because as you're building a brand, you're going to change things. You're going to, whether it's your product, or it's the way that you go to market, or it's your marketing, or it's your sales strategy, 
your communication. And so really being vigilant and being able to put that feedback loop in place so that you can understand what your consumers like, don't like, what's resonating, what's not really working, and then make adjustments as you're scaling up is extremely valuable. So I think, you know, having that kind of staged approach makes a lot of sense. And, you know, for, for, a, lo- for a local, um, and, and granted, Southern California is a huge local market, but in places like Erwan, other things you, you could do, start out, I don't know if you did, but you could do self-distribution. But how did you then pick or did you get picked for a distributor and what was that process? Yeah, great question. Um, we started with a small distributor in the market to help us get uh, get product delivered before building up to the the broadliners, the Unifies, Kehes, and then and then local um, kind of DSD distributors, which are amazing partners. But yeah, to your point, you know, it's it's much like the retail playbook, you know. And I think going and having building that data story is really important. So you know, starting with a a distributor that can help you build that story before moving on to a larger distributor. And, and eventually now we're with some really, really great DSD partners across the country. But you know, that's you you want to be a good partner to those distributors too and be able to bring them a story that says and some real data that says, hey, look, you know, this is the proof points that we have. We've built up the data with with these partners. You know, now we'd like to work with you. And I think, you know, so we we actually, you know, approached several of the of the partners in the market after we were able to to get those initial proof points, um, and we were fortunate enough to uh, to start with working with some of the larger distributors and, and then continue to build with them from uh, from from this point forward. And then you guys can win with both, like you mentioned, I think already liquor distributors as well as regular conventional beverage folks, right? You know, do you, do you position yourself as alternative to beer, we want to be in where the beer is, or how did you do that? Yeah, I mean, you know, we want to be where our consumers, you know, look for the product. And, you know, we consider ourselves an alternative for that beer occasion, though. I think what's really cool about hop water is that we have really multiple occasions that consumers can use this for. So as we talked about at the beginning, our initial insight was replacement for beer. So it makes sense for us to be with beer distributors that, that, have access and really spend a lot of time merchandising the beer aisle. So that's that's kind of our first priority. But again, the, the great thing about this beverage is that you can have it for lunchtime, you can have it you know, late morning after a workout, <laughs> and you can have it in the evening. So it, it's really multifaceted. So you know, we're in multiple areas of the store, and I think that's, a, again, a benefit of our product. So whether we're in the beer aisle next to non-out beers, you can find us there. You can also find us next to sparkling waters, or you can find us next to functional beverages. And depending on the retailer and that consumer experience, you know, we try to position ourselves in multiple areas. Okay. So now I'll ask you the question, Jordan. So of all those choices, where's your best velocity? We position ourselves as a non-alcoholic alternative to beer. So that is where, you know, we really see the product flying off the shelf the best, but honestly, functional beverage and sparkling water are also amazing sets for us uh, and not far behind at all. Awesome. So um, without obviously we can't get anything proprietary, but kind of what's on the what's on the horizon for for Hopwater and 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 the crew and what you guys are doing? Yeah, great question. We're we're so bullish on the future. You know, we're still a young brand, and we're really excited about innovation in the space. We just launched our first innovation, which is a lime flavor. It's incredible. I encourage everybody to try it. And 
We're going to continue to innovate. So expect to see additional flavors from us as well as additional innovations. You know, this is a new category that we're building and uh, we're again, incredibly bullish on the opportunities to kind of innovate and be leaders in this space. So uh, keep your eyes out in addition to flavors, expect some exciting innovation. coming. Absolutely. We'll do. That's pretty awesome. Well, I actually, I, I have, I have my box. Is the, is the lime in the, in the, um, in the sampler pack yet or no? I don't think it's in the sampler pack, so okay. we might have to get you a dedicated. All right, might have to give me. Yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got it. I haven't opened it yet, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to because, um, yeah, you just want to, I, I want to get the full flavor profile and, and also, uh, I think, you know, dry January is a good idea. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Dry January is always, you know, I, I did dry January for many years before starting hot water, and it always gave me this really great perspective of being purposeful about alcohol consumption. And, you know, it gives you this opportunity to kind of pause. And in a lot of situations, especially social situations, just kind of automatic, like, okay, I'll have a beer or whatever it is. Yeah. Again, dry January just gives me this great opportunity to decide like, yeah, that's an occasion that I do want a beer or no, I don't need the calories. I don't need the alcohol. I'll have a hot water or some other beverage. So I encourage everybody to do it. I I get a lot of value out of it every year. Um, as, as you know, Jordan, we have a, a place in the show where we try to put our guests on the spot just because they've been so good to spend some time with us. <laughs> and um, so uh, let me, our, our little segment is called Words to Grow By. And it basically is um, a sampling of quotes, words, um, phrases, something that you really believe in or whatever that you want to pass along to fellow entrepreneurs on the journey and leave with them. You got anything for us? Don't overthink it. I think, and I'll give a little bit of background there. You know, there is a ton of work just to get a product to the starting line. And I think that, you know, I fall victim and I know many entrepreneurs do to try to get everything absolutely perfect. But you know, the reality is that you just need to execute and move forward. Of course, you've got to be very thoughtful about certain decisions and some have bigger ramifications than other. But I think you need to put those decisions in, in you know, place, whether it how impactful that decision is going to be. And a lot of them really just need to make the best decision you can at the time and move forward. Um, Otherwise, you know, again, it's tough to even get to the starting line. It's tough to build a company. There's a long journey uh, and there's a lot of decisions on the way along the way. So uh, that would be, that would be one of my. Thank you. We will go with that. Well, Jordan, Hey, I appreciate you taking the time with us today and everybody, Hey, go out, get your hop water. I'm going to, guess that probably in a lot of the places it's on sale would be my guess we are uh we are on display and aggressively promoting in dry january so absolutely look us look for us on end caps look for us um look for us as a as primary product during dry january and get us on our website or all these leading retailers that we talked about good good stuff thanks for taking the time to be with us jordan and the story we'll get you back on again down the road to talk about the expansion and other wonderful things um, but, uh, you know, really appreciate you taking the time with us. Thanks for having me, Steve. Cheers. Hey, thanks to everyone else out there, by the way, for joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast. Our podcast is sponsored by the Next Level Brands community. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. Our producer is Deborah Armstrong. Our production assistant is Consolata Wakuka. You're always grateful for feedback and comments we get from you guys. If you have an idea for a show or a special guest you want us to talk to or a particular topic, feel free to reach out and let us know. If you're enjoying the show, please follow us, take a minute to subscribe, and most important, refer us to your friends. After all, the more, the merrier. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. 
Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at Next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.